the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Well, on this edition of the program, a very special guest joining us today, a voice that uh, undoubtedly familiar to you. He's had a role on Bay Area Radio for many, many years, just recently celebrated 19 years as senior pastor of a church that has roots here in the Bay Area going back nearly 100 years. We're pleased to have with us today the senior pastor of B.B. Memorial Cathedral of Oakland, Reverend Dr. Charlie Haynes. And Dr. Haynes, a delight and a privilege to have you with us today. It is my pleasure, and I'm humbled for the opportunity. May I first say congratulations. Uh, 100 years of ministry coming up in about three years. I think you folks are celebrating your 97th anniversary ministry yeah. in Oakland this year. And and yeah. of those 97 years, I'll be careful to point out, you haven't been there for all of them. Yes, <laughs> but praise you, God. You be, amen. But you've been there for uh, 19 going on 20 years. And uh, these days, when everything seems to last a nanosecond, um, uh, congratulations on your ministry and what God is doing with through the yep. ministry of BB Memorial there in Oakland. Uh, congratulations are in order. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a privilege to serve. I am now uh, the longest serving pastor uh, in uh, this particular church, uh, church who's had a little bit more over 20 something odd pastors. I've had the uh, privilege to serve as the longest uh, serving pastor. So it's been it's been a journey, uh, but it's been fun. Uh, it's been challenging. It's been stretching, but it's been a blessing. One of the, the longest serving, but I understand, too, one of the youngest to ever take over the pulpit there. Am I correct? Yes. yes. When, I, when I arrived in 2003, I was 29 years old, and I'm 48 today. Came in full of vim and vinegar and, and ready to uh, ready to take on the world and, and reach the Bay Area for Christ. Let's walk us back through some of your roots. Uh, your roots began, I understand, in the south side of Chicago. Yes, I grew up, born and raised on the south side of Chicago, Illinois, uh, in an area called Chatham. Uh, most of the areas in uh, Chicago is broken up in um, you know, neighborhoods, uh, and that's the neighborhood that I grew up in, uh, was raised by uh, both my parents, uh, who are now deceased. Um, and then as I matriculated through uh, schools, I played sports, uh, like many of the youth at that time, played football. I was hoping for a basketball career. Neither one of those happened after injury. Uh, but I, I went on and pursued a bachelor's degree at Chicago State University, which is a state university on the south side of Chicago, not too far from where I grew up. Um, not, uh, notwithstanding that, after I graduated, I went right into seminary at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. And don't let the name fool you, uh, but uh, that's on Northwestern's campus, earned a master's of divinity degree. And then I went south for my doctoral degree, doctor of ministry degree at the Perkins School of Theology, Southern Methodist University just to give you some kind of matriculation of where I came from. I'm curious, when the hoped-for sports career, athletic career, did mm -hmm. not come to fruition, when did the Holy Spirit come knocking on your heart that yes. led you with the sense that God had bigger and greater plans for you in store? So strangely, uh, as you asked the question that way, it, it pulled up a lot of memories. And one of the things that even though I, I really wanted, uh, I saw sports as a way out um, and I wanted to play, uh, I felt something different uh, was going to happen in my life. It wasn't until I accepted Jesus Christ as Savior Lord at the age of 16 uh, that I got, uh, uh, I would say, brazenly involved in the church. I went to church casually with my family. Uh, on the second and fourth Sunday or first and third, whenever they decided to go. Uh, but when I got saved, 
I had this thirst and this hunger for God like nobody. I wanted to know everything I could know about God. And in the scriptures, uh, in, in particular, I remember an experience uh, going to Sunday school and being able to see the scriptures very clearly, while others around me apparently had uh, some challenges around interpretation or revelation. I, I learned very quickly that I had a gift. I didn't know it was a gift until later as I was able to be affirmed and uh, go through study. And then uh, almost a year later, I uh, had this experience where this, uh, one of our youth directors and said, I see a calling on your life. I see this light in you. You know, you need to discover what God is saying. I can't tell you what that is. And I thought she was crazy. So I was like, what do you mean calling? Who's calling me? There's nobody on the phone. <laughs> um, and uh, I started searching and thinking and praying. And every litmus test that I took God through at that time, uh, God answered. Uh, and I remember very clearly uh, at the age of 17, uh, my father at the time, who did not go to church, my mother was uh, very active, involved in church, uh, walked past my room and said back to my mother, I think that boy is going to be a preacher. And that was not that was no other clear sign than that, that if he could say that <laughs> without any fear and trepidation, I must listen to God. And in that moment, I heard God's voice said, it's time. And at that point, I went and talked to my pastor a couple of weeks later. Uh, we had a conversation and then. Fifth Sunday, uh, September, I believe it was 29th, 1991, I did my initial sermon. Was there any sense at the beginning of, what am I getting myself into here? Uh, God, are you really doing, me, me of all people? I mean, I imagine there have got to be moments when Paul said the same thing. Yeah. Me of all people? Wait a minute. Now. Yeah. Yeah, me of all people, my background, you know, it just, it, it didn't make, none of it made any sense. And I definitely didn't see pastor at all. I I thought that, okay, God, I feel like if I don't surrender to this, chaos will continue to evolve around my life. So once I surrendered, I, I got a level of peace. Uh, but the peace in my mind was a compromise. I said, God, I'll accept your call, but maybe I'll go into pastoral psychotherapy because I don't want to deal with no church. I, I don't mind helping people, but I want to deal with this institution that's called church. And lo and behold, um, you know, being in ministry for pretty much about five years, I started pastoring at the age of 22. And um, it was the perfect fit. You know, I desired it at that time. Uh, and, you know, God had, had a, a great sense of humor because I guess he laughed at me when I said what I was not going to do. <laughs> yeah, he has a tendency to do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, no, I've got plans for you that you know nothing of. And if you understood it in the very beginning, you probably would be terrified. And right. maybe that's the that's the the exciting thing about the faith experience, that a lot of it is obedience, mm -hmm. and a lot of it is just surrendering to God, saying, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly where this journey is going to take me or what you have planned for me along the way, mm -hmm. but in you I put my trust, so... Mm -hmm. Buckle up tight, because here we go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and that's that's been that's been my journey. And in terms of your studies, um, mm -hmm. you've gone through, as you mentioned, and from the outgo, uh, Masters mm -hmm. of Divinity degree. You've got your Doctorate of Ministry as well. Um, mm -hmm. You went to Perkins School of Theology. John Perkins has been a guest on this program many times, a wonderful man wow. of God. And um, and eventually you found your way out to the San Francisco Bay Area. How did all that come about? Well, um, so I was in my doctoral program in Evanston, Illinois, uh, had a whole nother focus. I fo my concentration was in evangelism. I thought it was not my strong suit. <laughs> it, it just really pulled off the scale and became the gift that God has given me. Uh, but uh, that was a, a gentleman by the name of Henry Milton Williamson, Sr., who was just elected bishop in the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, CME Church. And his first assignment was uh, to the West. Um, he had uh, all of the states um, from Anchorage, Alaska, uh, all the way down to Oklahoma, Arizona, New Mexico, Southern California, Northern California. It's and a huge, he had huge territory, my, my. Yeah. Yeah, huge territory, about 100 churches. And um, he asked five guys to go with him and their families. And I was one of the five that he asked. I was actually the last one that he asked. And um, I did. So I did one year down in Southern California, built a small church, uh, medium-sized church, uh, Curry Temple, CME Church in Compton, California. 
but he asked me, he says, you know, will you trust God and trust me? Will you come West? You know, I think there's a great opportunity for you. And I said, well, I will come, but I don't want to be moving around a lot. He says, well, if you, if you take one assignment, the next one, I'll leave you there and forget that you ever went there. And hence, I did one year down at Curry Temple in Compton, and he asked me the next year, uh, I have this situation up north. Uh, I just feel that this is the right place for you, and I'll make my promise good. And uh, September 2003, I, I arrived to B.B. Memorial Cathedral, and the rest is history. Now, I'm curious, looking back, and, and, and some folks eavesdropping on our conversation might say, hmm, I see a bit of a consistent trajectory here in the sense of from the south side of Chicago mm-hmm. to Compton, California, to right. Oakland, California. Right. All three major metropolitan areas mm-hmm. with long histories, mm-hmm. areas that have also been challenged economically in many mm-hmm. respects, areas mm-hmm. that have had moments of, of extreme violence, and, and, and mm-hmm. some certainly do. Uh, that's mm-hmm. certainly true of Chicago today as it is of Oakland. Mm -hmm. Do you think God had a plan in all of that that would take you from Chicago to Compton to Oakland? And if so, specifically, and I'm thinking from the broader picture of coming Mm -hmm. to bring the word, bringing the truth, Mm -hmm. pouring Mm -hmm. some oil on the water to bring healing. Right. Right. Do you see the hand of God working through all of this? Yeah, absolutely. I, it was God's hand. I mean, I, I could not describe uh, the experiences that I had, nothing but the grace of God. Um, you know, when I went to Compton, I thought it was what I saw on TV. <laughs> you know, uh, Boys in the Hoods, I thought it was that, that kind of cultural value, but it had completely changed. It was almost 80% uh, Latinx when I got to uh, Compton. However, it was still a large African-American community. Uh, that was still vibrant there. And it was at Compton. Uh, I went there. I tell a quick story. I'll show you how God's hand, uh, that God is Jehovah Jireh. I went there. Uh, they could not pay me the first month. <laughs> uh, could not afford insurance uh, for 90 days. All right. Uh, I was making half of what I was making when I left Illinois. Uh, but this is the hand of God. There was a lady by the name of Miss Gatlin. Uh, she's going on to be uh, with the Lord. Uh, came by our house every Friday afternoon and said, the blessings of God is here. The blessings of God is here. And she would come and she would have uh, bags of groceries that she would take out of her house. And that's how we ate for six months because the church couldn't afford to pay us enough to pay rent and pay us enough for a living wage for food. So she literally groceried us uh, through until we able to get the church healthy. That was nothing but the hand of God. Uh, um, you know, for us, to, uh, the church had been stalled in their project for 12 years before I got there. They hadn't built anything. And for us to raise enough funds uh, in that area at that time to get that church completed, it's nothing but the hand of God. So for me, uh, even though it might be skill sets and abilities that God has gifted me, gifted me with, I give him all the credit and the glory. Because I know if it had not been for God on my side, what would I be? You know, that story, I think, is one that that should be an object lesson for all of us, Mm -hmm. particularly from the standpoint of here is an elderly saint in the church. Mm -hmm. Some might stand back with a critical eye and say, well, what could she possibly do? I mean, Mm -hmm. she's an older person. She's probably Mm -hmm. living paycheck to paycheck on her Social Mm -hmm. Security wage. She couldn't Mm -hmm. possibly do much to have an impact on the kingdom. And yet her compassion... Her mm-hmm. generosity, perhaps even to the point of self-sacrifice, who knows, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that helped sustain you and your family through that mm-hmm. season, mm-hmm. ended up playing a small part of a much bigger picture. Right. And I'm wondering if, if maybe from your perspective, from a pastoral viewpoint, if there isn't a lesson in that for all of us, that mm-hmm. sometimes we might think individually, well... What kind of a difference can I make? I mean, I'll show up to church on Sunday, but th- mm-hmm. I, I I can't speak the way Pastor can. I don't I don't feel comfortable teaching a Sunday school class. I really can't do right. much to make any sort of a difference. And yet, if you look at the individual parts of the body, you know, mm-hmm. n- nobody nobody thinks about their five fingers on their right hand unless they lose one of them, and then they realize 
how mm-hmm. significant that minor so-called body part is to the ability to to, to grasp and to hold things. Mm-hmm. Is the same thing true for the church today, that maybe we sure. look at things where we don't think what we could do is significant, and so we do nothing, but if we had a different right. understanding, right. together we could do a lot. Do you think that's true? I think it's completely true. I'll give you one quick example. During the pandemic, uh, when we all were shut down in California, uh, there were 12 to 15 individuals who came out every week and we gave away food. Uh, we didn't have money to give away the food. Uh, but once we started with the little bit that we had, other agencies and other programs start calling our office and say, hey, we heard you're giving away food. Well, can we partner with you? So watch this. For about eight months, we were able to supply food. Uh, to Bay Area residents of all walks of life, all colors, all ethnicities, all really all religions, came through our doors and got hot meals and cold meals and packages of uh, milks and uh, cheeses and breads, all that stuff, just because we, 12 to 15 people, decided that they were not going to just stay in and do nothing, but they wanted to give their hands to help somebody. And that, for me, that showed, like, tons of blessings, you know, uh, and those others that still probably would not would have come out, but it was just those few. And we know it was 12 apostles that literally turned the world upside down. That's right. (laughs) Right. And and winded up, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting here having this conversation today, literally Mm -hmm. standing on the shoulders of their spiritual legacy. Right. And you know, it, it strikes me too. You speak of a handful of people feeding thousands Mm-hmm. That addressing of felt needs, and I know sometimes there are some folk in the church that get very uncomfortable with this topic. They say, "Well, you now you're talking about you know social justice and things of that sort, and you know that there's mm-hmm. we have agencies that do that, we have government branches that handle all right. of that stuff. The church should be about preaching the truth, which is indeed true, right? But but I find it curious to note that without exception, every time we see a, a display of Christ's public ministry when he was going to speak before groups. There mm-hmm. was always preceding that time of speaking to proclaim who he was and what he had come to do mm-hmm. with addressing felt needs, whether it was bringing sight to the blind man, restoring mm-hmm. the ability to walk to the lame man, mm-hmm. or or even feeding the 5,000, which I would suggest is pretty much what you were talking about, right. you know, right. going out there, demonstrating a compassion for the real need, mm-hmm. and then using that in a sense as the door of opportunity to then proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Some right. people today in the church see it as one or the other. I, I, I kind of see it as both and because I, I, I just, I, I'm, I struggle with the idea that we can proclaim the love of Jesus Christ and the phenomenal sacrifice of his work on the cross on our behalf, that God would do that because he wants to be reconciled to us and walk in fellowship with us, and, and yet at the same token to not say that God, or not demonstrate through us, that God is also concerned with our immediate felt needs. Pastor Hames, take our final moment together, if you would, for folks that are new to the Bay Area looking for a church home. Tell us a bit about the ministry of B.B. Memorial Cathedral there in Oakland. Thank you. We say B.B. Memorial Cathedral, where life is a cathedral experience. We believe that you will experience the love of God. We experience a rich fellowship and a warm, inviting congregation uh, that will not judge you, but will love you just the way you are until they love you into the reign of God. For more information, you can go to our website at experiencebmc.org. That's the word experience, bbmemorialcathedral.org. And you can learn more about us. A great congregation, been here 97 years and still thriving and still strong. I just want to thank you for this opportunity to share today. This has been so rich. Ministry for youth, families, senior citizens. You'll find it all and you can experience it all. Simply go online to experiencebmc.org. Service time Sundays at 9.30 a.m., Wednesday morning prayer call at 7, and then a time of study in God's Word, working the Word Bible study, Wednesday evenings at 6 p.m. B.B. Memorial Cathedral meets at 3900 Telegraph Avenue in Oakland. And again, for more information, you can call them at area code 5. 5- 
510-655-6114. That's 510-655-6114. Or again, find them online at Experience BMC. Think BB Memorial Cathedral, experiencebmc.org. Pastor Reverend Dr. Charlie Hames, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. And you've been the amazing host that you are. Thank you. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me. I'll pull it up a little bit at some bottom. Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verses six through eight. 2 Corinthians nine is good. Six chapter verses six through eight. As we read the scripture together aloud and online, scripture says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Amen. I want to put a tag on this text for some preaching possibilities. And since God said it, amen. And since God said it, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. And since God said it, amen. And if you know that this is going to be a word for you, come on and give God an amen and give him praise. Amen. An article in the Harvard Crimson points to a research experiment proving that putting your brain resources elsewhere when a problem consumes you is hard. In a 2017 experiment, researchers found that simply thinking about an expensive car repair bill significantly worsens the cognitive performance of low-earning individuals. These same researchers also studied sugarcane farmers in India who make the majority of their annual income all at once. And at harvest time, the farmers quickly go from poor to relatively affluent. The farmers performed much worse on cognitive tests before the harvest, when the need was there were needy than after, despite controlling for stress and other factors. The research concluded that the lack of resources imposes a cognitive load and it impedes a cognitive capacity and that these effects are equivalent to losing roughly 13 IQ points on the scale comparatively to missing out a whole night of sleep. This example is an example of a scarcity mindset, a mental shift due to the perception of scarce resources. Now I'm here to report that God has already declared that you don't have to function in faith is as if there is not enough. That God has already said to you that you are the, his chosen people. That he is a God who has already given you more than enough. That we are in a season that God has demonstrated God's self that he will protect you and provide for you amidst uncertainty. And yet because we are not a part of his divine planning process, our minds have shifted to the perception that what we have is not enough. In a real sense, when life has caused you to suffer from PTSD, I'm talking about 
post-traumatic scarcity disorder, it is hard to see what God is doing in your life when your life is constantly bombarded with the pessimistic notion that you will never ever have enough. That when you're surrounded by never enough people, it will drain you of your mental, emotional, and spiritual resources. And you wonder why you leave your house feeling drained. And when you come back to your house, you're still feeling drained. It's because of a scarcity mindset. I wish I had maybe one or two witnesses in here. That because when you are so obsessed with the lack of something, usually time or money, that you can't seem to focus on anything else no matter how hard you try. A scarcity mindset stems from the inherent feeling that there will never ever be enough. This mindset is a toxic understanding of a world at the risk of being dramatic can poison all our thoughts and the things we say to ourselves. Consequently, we stop valuing relationships because we start seeing people as our come up uh, instead of the blessing we have to experience them in our lives. And then when God removed them in our lives, we want to delete them from our phone because you don't have relationships. Watch this now. Relationships are designed to be reciprocal, not just for you to receive something all of the time. In the real sense, instead of being a blessing, we become a curse because those individuals can't help us if we don't understand the value of the relationship. It will affect your relationships and how you handle money. It will become a feast or famine mentality when you work through your issues around what you have and what you don't have. When you begin to lack control over how much you have and how little you have, it feeds into your scarcity mindset that keeps you living beneath your privileges. Do you not know God has already promised you your life for a life of abundance and a life for more abundantly? And yet God promises to supply all of your needs. The apostle records in Philippians, the fourth chapter, the 19th verse, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Then how many people really believe that God will provide for all? of their needs. How many still struggle with the tremendous promises of God that the promises actually apply to my life? How many of us who claim to have faith serve in God's community of faith still struggle with trusting God with his plans for our lives that God can produce what he declared concerning your life? How many of us can trust the accountant for the refund? How many of us can trust the state to send the check in the federal government to come through with your tax-free fund, but yet you still struggle with trusting the one who came through for you when nobody else would. Wonder how you woke up this morning. It wasn't the accountant, it wasn't the state, it wasn't the government, but it was God who was on your side. And when you operating in a scarcity thinking and mentality, you will never have enough. And when you're functioning in post-traumatic scarcity disorder, you're always competing to stay on the top. Start hoarding things from others because you feel like you will lose out. I ain't talking about nobody's house, but I, if I ever come to your house, please allow me to get in the door, amen, and not just stay at the door. Or you won't offer anybody things that support you. You're suspicious of other people who help you, afraid of being replaced. Believe that more you have, the better you will be. You try to avoid risk and fear change. There has to be a shift in your mindset. If you desire the principle of increase to start to manifest in your own destiny, this word is not about a health or wealth gospel, but this is about what God promised concerning your life. In the words of Jesus found in John 10 and 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. There must be a shift if you desire to operate in the blessings of God and not to experience the curse of your predicament. 
Transformation starts with your mindset by what you say you believe and what you walk in. That's a good word here. I wish I had a witness here. Maybe I'm going to preach to the lights today. The transformation starts when your mindset shifts to what you say you believe and what you decide that you're going to walk in. When you're functioning in the abundant life mindset, you will understand that there will always be more. You know and understand that it is not a it is okay to be generous with others. You don't hold back information that gave you victory and success, but you share with somebody else knowing that God will bless them because you've been blessed. You believe the best is yet to come. You think it is okay to welcome competition and take ownership of change. You strive to grow and be better because it will help others who are connected to you. You think big because you understand that you serve a big God. And here's my thesis. Our motive in giving should not always be what we receive. For we know to receive the blessings of God that are more precious than material possessions that can be gained. And since God said it, I'm going to trust him even in my motives that the principles of increase will yield a miracle in my own life. And I wish I had maybe just one witness up in here that says I'm tired of trusting everybody else, but I'm going to trust God for the principle of increase to start working in my life. Is there anybody who's sitting here this morning saying, God, I'm getting ready to trust you. Here we are in our Bible text already chronicled by the Apostle Paul. Paul, first point is that Christians should believe that our giving does not deplete our resources. Proverbs says a, a generous man or woman will him or herself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Proverbs 22 and 9. Paul pointed out that the one does not withhold sowing to keep a good grain from supply for himself. To do so would be poor stewardship, unconditional love, and agriculture. The farmer who does not use seed will lose it. I need to stay there for a moment. The one who does not use your seed will lose it. And some people are wondering why you can't have things. It's because when you try to hold on to something, it was never designed for you to hold on to it, but it was designed for it to flow from you. And you're wondering why you all tight. You got just up in knots. You can't sleep at night. Your back all tight. You stressed out. Your eyebrows are frowned. Why? Because you haven't learned how to release the very thing uh, that you've been holding on. And I wish I could preach to somebody up in here uh, because this is not about money. This is about how you do your relationships. Uh, and you're still holding on to that Negro who hurt you last year uh, and you in a brand new year uh, and you can't reach for somebody else uh, when you're still holding on to somebody you cannot hold seed and expect it to be suitable for long term when it was designed to be planted and you wonder why something slipped through your fingers when you're trying to extend their warranty when God has placed on it an expiration date there must be a relationship between sowing and reaping there's a relationship between investing and withdrawing. Uh, there's a relationship between liberal investing and making it possible for a liberal harvest. And liberal giving will not hurt yourself. And you ought to believe that. Uh, for the Bible declares that first century farmers took part of their harvest each year and yet set aside a seed uh, for the next year. The rest would be used for food. Wouldn't be foolish, if you will, uh, for a farmer to set aside only a scanty supply of seed so that he can apply more to his seed for next time. He might as well eat it as well uh, because the Bible says who those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. Uh, or would it be even foolish to refuse the fact that the plant, the seed he has set aside for sowing because to do so would mean that he has now no seed for the storage bin. A farmer with faith in God would put his last seed in the ground uh, knowing that only as he did uh, that the seed would be blessed and 
then the fruit of the blessing uh, will come to pass. Uh, and I'm trying to help somebody here uh, because you don't have to slight anybody. You ain't got to be mean to anybody, but you can learn how to sow seeds of kindness uh, because you will begin to reap it uh, in your life when you start trusting God in faith. If they did you wrong, release them, uh, but keep on doing right because after a while, God will bless those uh, who give uh, in plenty. As we go deeper in the text, Paul wants to see the plans uh, for the gift for a year earlier carried out. His both to the Macedonians uh, was about Achaia as an example of giving. It needs to back up. This will help neither Paul nor Corinth with any feeling shame. The apostle longs to see the collecting team gather the promised gift that the testimony might be loving, not diminished uh, by the covenant through selfish and stingy withholding. Listen to the text, if you will. I know you ain't been in a church for a minute and it's hard for you to get back in the rhythm to saying amen to the pastor, but I'm preaching anyhow because I've learned how to preach to a camera for more than three years. So I'm not dependent on your amens. I'm still going to preach at my same cadence. Come on and preach, Charlie. I think I already am. The sequence is in following. The measure is in giving. The stingy, the untrusting person who plants sparingly shall reap in a corresponding meager measure, but the one who sows bountifully shall have expensive and expansive harvests. Uh, Here the text, if you will. Uh, The text tells us in verse 10 uh, that God is giving you spiritual dividends. Uh, That all grace, that all sufficiency in everything. Uh, That's what the Bible says in the book of Psalms, Psalms 1. uh, That whatever you put your hand to uh, shall prosper. Uh, If you really want to understand the reality of favor, uh, how is they always calling their name? Uh, How are they always getting the invitations? Uh, Because the invitations come and they are connected uh, to how you trust God uh, for your resources that's getting ready to come. Uh, Y'all ain't going to help me preach it, uh, but I'm going to preach it anyhow. Uh, God wants each believer to pass the measure that his or her hard motive has compelled them. Let me make it plain. In other words, uh, when you have a open or open-handed gladness, God then began to give you freely. For the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, the Greek word literally is hilaria, which means hilarious, that you got to begin to laugh at the fact that God chose you and God decided to bless you even when you understand who you are. Y'all ain't going to help me here because if y'all real with me, I know you're looking holy and pious today. But if you're real with me, when Sunday is over and Monday come around, you are sometime ratchet. You're sometime undependable. You're sometime unfaithful. But yet God decide to bless you anyhow. And when you look back over your life, how the Lord has blessed you, you ought to to start laughing over the fact that you should have been dead and gone sleeping in your grave but thanks be to God God look beyond your faults and saw your when you are glad to give you do it because you know if God said it it's a word that you can count on let me tell you the story there was a rich man who was quite distressed over the prospect of not being able to take his riches with him when he died so before he died he loaded his briefcase with two gold bars if y'all don't understand that two gold bars that's over a half a million dollars if you got one gold bar that's right now it's even up it's a little higher it's about 260,000 here it is he got two gold bars he found his private vault he left instructions to have the case locked with the key handcuffed it to his wrist, the key placed into his grave clothes. His family carried out his orders correctly to the letter. When he appeared at the pearly gates, he had this briefcase with him, key in hand. St. Peter asked him, sir, uh, 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 I'm about to let you in, but I I need to understand, uh, uh, because St. Peter was a brother, and he says, "Uh, uh, bro, let me ask you, uh, uh, what do you have in, in the suitcase? The man unlocked the suitcase. He was open. He smiled he displayed his two gold bars very proudly. St. Peter said, bruh, isn't that special? You brought some pavement for the road. 
Are you not glad that you know you can't take what you have with you? But our real treasure is how we help somebody who is in need. The psalmist says, if I can help somebody as I pass along, then my living will not be in vain. The problem is, is that we have good intentions, uh, but they are often overshadowed by us trying to control the flow of how we give. There was another story about a stingy Scotsman who accidentally tossed a crown into the collection plate thinking it was a penny. When he saw his mistake, he asked to have it back. You know how y'all do uh, back in the day, pre-COVID, y'all would have $20. Y'all put 20 in, so can I have five, 10 back? You, y'all know who I'm talking about. Amen. Amen. Don't look to your left to your right. Just say amen, pastor. I know you're talking good. The deacon refused. The Scotsman consoled him by saying, oh, well, oh, well. He says, well, I guess I'll get credit in heaven. The deacon responded, no, 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 bro. You'll get credit for the penny. I'm asking the question today. How is your account in heaven? Are you storing up many treasures so that you'll be wealthy towards God? Or are you storing up treasures here on earth? And if your countenance heaven is light, there's still time to correct it with his favor. Here it is, is that God is calling us to get our financial house in order. So the next couple of Sundays, I'm going to be flying back in night. But next Sunday, I'm going to talk about credit. Because it's time out in 2022 that black people got jacked up credit. Y'all ain't going to help me up in here. If you're afraid to talk to the credit person, you need to get some assistance. And you cannot always associate your emotions to your financial picture. Amen, somebody. Here's my first point. And since God said it, it becomes a decision of your mindset. It becomes a decision of your mindset. For the Bible says each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or of compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God desires you to live decisively. God don't want you to be wishy-washy. Amen, somebody. You don't have to go between two opinions as the Bible says. God wants you to be decisive. On the other hand, it seems that reluctance of many to formulate concrete dreams and take strategic steps toward the life you desire and destined to live. Believers must not buy into the lie that somehow decisiveness and trust in God are mutually exclusive. We can both run hard after something we sense the world needs and we're gifted to accomplish and trust God in his God's divine and providential leading of our lives and ordering of our steps. God's people act in obedience to what they know and then seemingly invisible hand of God maneuvers them to accomplish his grand purpose. Don't you understand? It's all right to plan, but it's ultimately it's God's plan for your life that will prevail. A Christian giving should be considered. Consider giving that is decisive. Plan your giving. Amen, somebody. Plan your giving. Amen, somebody. Plan your giving. But to plan your giving, you need a budget. Woo, this is hard to preach in here today, but I'm going to do it anyhow. In Jesus' name. In order to plan your giving, you need a budget. Come on and open your mouth and say, I need a budget. I know you to convince yourself I work hard. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do with my money. I can spend it the way I want to. If I want this, if I want some Louis Vuittons, and yet you're buying Louis Vuittons, but you're renting a place that you don't own. Yeah. You need a budget. You can't be decisive when you don't know what you have. Each man, each woman should give what they have decided in their heart to give. Giving should not be out of an impulsive moment to decide. In the Greek, the Bible tells us it's to choose beforehand. This is not the last minute emotional decision that comes from the close of having a salesman come to the door and emotionally sell you a product that you discover soon after you really don't need. I can raise money. Amen, somebody. I know I can, I can set the atmosphere. I can get all, say, so, God, I feel God in here. Hallelujah. And according to Matthew 6 and 33, I need just six of y'all to give 33. 
I need you to be people who decide in their heart to think about it, to plan it, to research it, to pray about it, and otherwise give careful consideration to the matter. God wants us to be wise stewards, not just hurried ones. You ought to praise God that he loves you enough to give you the freedom to make accurate decisions that shape the trajectory of your life. And yet, the very same God, amen, somebody, he cares enough about you to make you and give you the capacity to be decisive. And since God said that I'm willing to trust him to follow his path concerning my life. Second point is, and since God said it, it becomes a behavior of emotional readiness and internal gratitude. Amen, somebody. I'm trying to grow you today. Amen. I could shout you, but I'm trying to grow you. It becomes a behavior of emotional readiness and internal gratefulness. The Bible says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You have heard me say this before. Attract what you expect. Reflect what you desire. Becomes what you respect and mirror what you admire. Hear me today. Attract what you expect. If you put out positive stuff, positive going to come back to you. Reflect what you desire. You can't treat me any kind of way. Reflect what you become what you respect. Live respectable. Mirror what you admire. If you want to live like a baller, then mirror that. Amen. Amen, somebody. Paul said the Greek word for not reluctantly literally means not out of grief or sorrow. Some people give out of an appeal, then immediately hurt emotionally because they gave. Some people hurt anytime they give. Amen. Start grumbling. That does not mean they hurt financially, but they hurt emotionally. The Macedonians were as poor as people could be, but yet they gave until it hurt financially. Watch this. The text tells us that they would have given not out of the damaged emotional gift, but they gave because God had been good to them. While some people hurt emotionally anytime they give, others give until they hurt because they realize God loves cheerful givers. When you are a cheerful giver, you don't give out of the sense of what's convenient. You give because it is right. These individuals who have given under compulsion is not because that's outside of the emotional appeal that has manufactured, but they give, watch this now, because they represent their attitude, not under compulsion. Paul was not referring to your inner compulsion that comes from love, but rather the external compulsion that comes from manipulative, manipulative pleasure or pressure. Here it is. Paul began to describe those who are pressured to give uh, and they're frustrated and agitated. However, God is looking for somebody to believe him, to take him at his word, to say that God has been good to me and because God has been good, I live in gratitude. Gratitude itself is a gift from God. We should all aspire to experience gratitude day after day, pursuing a better world through a emotional readiness to live in the wholeness that comes from God. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns our denial into acceptance, chaos into order, confusion into clarity. It can turn our meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. When you're operating in gratitude, gratitude makes sense of our past, bring peace for our today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. If you have real gratitude you'll tell God every now and again God I thank you for what you've done for me thirdly and finally God loves what God is God loves what God is and that's a cheerful giver all that God asks is that we give cheerfully but God loves a cheerful giver Paul tells the Corinthian church, each person should give what they decided to give in their heart. Our cheer comes from the fact that we love God and want him to know how thankful we are. Amen, somebody. Our cheer comes because we love others and we want to see their needs met. And if I can park here parenthetically, when you love God, nobody have to beg you to do anything in this church. You ain't going to help me here. You ain't got to have a personal invitation from the pastor to serve those who are less fortunate than you. 
that when you give, you give because God has already given you a good reason to give. Uh, did he not wake you up this morning? And did he not start you on your way? The person who realizes and rationalizes what they give has failed to give cheerfully and has already left God's will unfulfilled before giving anything. For the Bible declares in this text uh, that when we give the tithe, that's the basement level of giving. But when we become a cheerful giver, uh, we give more than a tenth. Uh, but we give of our heart, of our mind, uh, and of our soul. Uh, have I got a witness here? That when you are operating in the principle of giving, uh, you will realize that his supply will increase your store of seed uh, and it will enlarge your harvest for righteousness. Uh, that's why the Bible declares that not just in material things, uh, but you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous uh, on every occasion. Uh, that God's sufficiency uh, can spring a believer free to give uh, and believe uh, that what God has given them, uh, that God will give you more back. Uh, one cannot decide uh, to give based upon what you can do out of your own resources, uh, but you decide based upon uh, the infinite supply that God God has already declared over your life uh, and that if God is able to feed even the birds uh, and beautify the flowers with fields, uh, if God has even decided to sling uh, the stars in place uh, and put the moon in orbit, uh, the truth is the same God uh, can take care of you. Uh, that's why as I close, the Bible declares in chapter 9, verse 8, the word says, having all you need. Uh, the translation of the Greek word is simply saying self-sufficiency uh, or contentment. Uh, that when the cynics and the stoics of Paul, they understood self-sufficiency. It means uh, to be freedom from external circumstances uh, and other people. Uh, and you really don't know what it feels like uh, until you become free uh, of the expectations and opinions uh, of other Negroes. Uh, when you find out what this feels like, uh, then you will understand uh, what it means to be free indeed uh, for the Bible says uh, and God is able uh, to bless you abundantly uh, so that in all things uh, at all times uh, having all you need uh, you will abound in every good work uh, it means that God uh, then becomes sufficient uh, it's the same word uh, that we see in the Hebrew Bible uh, that you find in the book of Joshua uh, when they begin to walk around the wall uh, seven times uh, that same word uh, literally means uh, that when they completed the seventh round, uh, they shouted and the walls fell uh, because God had already declared uh, that I am sufficient. Uh, and as a child of God, uh, you got to realize uh, that you serve a God uh, that is already deficient. Uh, that you serve a God uh, that is a God of more than enough. Uh, and as I get ready to close, uh, as a child, I love cars and I remember one of my favorite cars was a Rolls Royce Silver Cloud they never advertised the vehicle and some were rare on occasion but somehow or another when you move downtown they said there was nothing special like a Rolls Royce Silver Cloud but somehow I started to research I wanted to see how much horsepower this Silver Cloud had I never could afford it, but I wanted to see what was under the hood ornament of this famous Rolls Royce. Everything I researched, it began to tell me that the Rolls Royce made the silver cloud engine. It was mysterious. It was bizarre. But when I kept on looking for the horsepower, the advertisement said the silver shadow as advertised uh, is already adequate uh, they believed uh, that if you invested uh, in this kind of car uh, you didn't have to worry about its performance uh, all you need uh, to know uh, is that the silver cow uh, is adequate uh, and when I think uh, about how good uh, God has been uh, and how much God uh, has invested uh, in my life uh, given me his only uh, begotten son uh, if you did not know uh, 
whether or not God would come through for you. I believe I got a few witnesses that can declare that God is adequate. For I hear the songwriter says, Jehovah Jireh, he is my provider. You are more than enough for me. Jehovah Rapha, you are my healer. For by your stripes I've been set free. Jehovah Shammah, you are with me. And your supply, everyone of my needs and I just stopped by here to tell somebody on my way to heaven that God is more than enough more than I got more than I can be more than I'm ever will is there anybody is there anybody in here who don't mind giving God some praise because God has been more than enough. If you don't mind, you ought to shout right now. Because you realize if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, where would I be? I would have lost my mind. I would have had a panic attack, but I thank God, I thank God that God was more than enough. Is there anybody in here who can shout right now and testify that God, you've been more than enough, more than riches, more than houses, more than money. If you know God has been more, you ought to shout more. And I praise him because God has been gotta let you go but some of y'all need to know what he's been he's been a doctor in a sick room he's been a lawyer in a courtroom he's been a wheel in the middle of a wheel do you know who I'm talking about his name Give him a praise. When you realize God has been more than enough, the least you can do is have an attitude or cheerfulness in the midst of pain. In the midst of struggle, God has been all you need. He's been sufficient. I wish I had a witness here. And nobody in here is exempt from trial and tribulation. But how you make it through is understanding the source of your resources. Amen, somebody. How are you making it? I don't know. But I know God is covering and watching over me. Reverend Dr. Charlie Hames, Senior Pastor of the B.B. Memorial Cathedral in Oakland. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website, 
to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor in church, along with a link to the website and email to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.